The Daily Sales Show, hosted by Sell Better. Welcome back, everybody. How you doing? Uh, I'm going to give you a second to come into the room. I know how it is. Everybody's coming off calls. You're coming off meetings. Some of you are joining us for your lunch hour. Uh, so thanks for being here for that. Be sure that you let us know what you're eating for lunch. <laughs> Just because, you know, I've been, I've been on the food journey lately. It's been fun. Uh, but it's great to see everybody coming back. Happy Friday. The weekend is here. You know, they come whether we want them to or not. That's the truth. Uh, let's get started here as you guys come on in and get comfortable. Uh, welcome back, everybody, to the Daily Sales Show, where we bring you daily sales advice to help you sell better. Change your chat settings down at the bottom right to everyone and let us know where you're tuning in from. We like to see all the places that we've been and the people that we've met. Today, we're here to talk about ways to close more deals, period, right? I'm your host, James Buckley, and I want to remind you that everyone closes for something. SDRs close for time, interest, and attention. AEs close for signatures, demos, next steps, and more. CS closes for renewals and referrals and upsells, right? Today, I am joined by a closer, Mr. Max Sakevich. Welcome back to the show, my friend. How are we doing? I am fantastic. I always say your name right. You know, I, I tell people all the time, you got to know the name. I've screwed up a few names, but it's pretty <laughs> rare that I mess up your name. Uh, Max is over at Branch. He is the director of sales development. Uh, this guy has been on the show before. He's a wealth of knowledge. Uh, we're excited to have him here. Uh, before we get started, if you're looking to level up in 2023, we are here to help with the Sell Better Daily Show, our membership that consists of instant access to our training, our resources, our templates and all the things that we deliver on a daily basis to you. And then our corporate sales training for your team. So check us out at sellbetter.xyz or go ahead and scan that QR code that you see on your screen. Uh, real quick, I want to give you guys something that you can do. You know that we like to put things in the chat that are going to benefit you. I want to give you an opportunity to join us Wednesday. So these two individuals I'm going to be joined by have discovered more than Magellan collectively. Uh, to talk about how better discovery helps you close more deals. Obviously, that's the goal. John Barrows and Ashley Welch of Somersault are going to join me Wednesday at 1 p.m. I'm putting the link in the chat right now. There it is. Join us Wednesday because that's where you want to be to learn how deeper discovery will help you close more deals. Uh, I want to give a big shout out to these folks right here. We could not do this show without Vidyard. I've been a Vidyard user since, I don't know, 2014, 2015. Make sure you check them out. Learn more about them at vidyard.com. We do like to tailor these conversations to the folks that are in the room. So go ahead and let us know what you are. That way we can tailor the conversation to be more about you. This is how we make it relevant. Like it should be about you, right? We're going to get into more nuts and bolts around expectations and multi-threading. It's a big talking point right now, multi-threading. Everybody has been saying that. They want to see more of that. And then we're going to get proactive and how you can see objections coming and do more steps that lead you to the close. That's what we're going to be talking about today. Uh, Max, I can already see that SDRs and AEs have a commanding lead for the folks that are in the room. Shout out to the management that's in the room. Uh, what should AEs and full cycle reps be thinking about uh, when they're setting themselves up for success on a daily basis, being more proactive with their approaches? Yeah, um, I think for me, like the, the biggest thing that I always tell my reps, my A's and SDRs is try to understand who and what has been successful wherever you're at. So don't just try and go on Google and find all these different scripts and playbooks that work for other people. You want to take a look at the people who have been the most successful at your org, see how they run their calls. So like if you're an AE, see how the top performing AE runs their call from start to finish. Or if you're an SDR, see how the SDRs are booking cold calls, what their process looks like. 
and then just follow that script and playbook. Don't try and reinvent the wheel. And then once you have that down, it's just about being consistent with the little things. So if you're an AE, it's about making sure you're doing follow-up, making sure you're getting a next step on the calendar, making sure you're spending 15 to 20 minutes of doing the right kind of discovery and finding two to three pain points. And it's doing that on every single call and not trying to you know, skip those steps. So for me, those are like talk, the- We're going to talk more about skipping steps later. So I don't want you to give away the farm here. I know you're excited to talk about that because it's a common thing. It's a big problem in our space. Uh, and for what it's worth to you guys, let us know the questions that you have. Throw them in the Q&A. If you want to talk about skipping steps, uh, this is the time. Like, Put your questions there. We'll leave time at the end. But not, not going off of the things that other people are doing and being sure that you're doing the steps that matter and not skipping steps, this requires a set of rails, right? Do's and don'ts. So let's start there and give some do's and don'ts for expectation setting. I want a number one do and a number one don't from you. Yeah, my number one don't um, when it comes to setting expectations is don't just jump right into the call without having some kind of an agenda set. So like if you just go into the call and you just start asking them a bunch of different questions about their processes, how they do things today, or you start asking like random questions that you should probably save for the end of the call. I'm calling to interrogate you. Yeah. And then you're jumping back to the beginning of the beginning of it and doing discovery. You want to make it so that the the prospect that you're talking to has an idea of what's going to happen. Mm. And so you don't want to jump all over the place. Um, and then my number one do, especially when you're setting an expectation and kicking off the call is setting an upfront contract. And so getting agreement from them, basically saying like, hey, in this call, we're going to do X, Y, and Z. If you feel like we're a good fit for each other, this is what will happen. And that can be setting a next step. Maybe you sell a product that you can do a one call close and you can say, hey, we'll send out the agreement. But making sure that you're setting an upfront contract with them so that you can get agreement of like what's going to happen after this call. So it just doesn't you know, go into a black hole and you have no idea what's going to happen after this call. Dude, so I love those do's and don'ts. Uh, and you said three magic words in there that always capture my attention. You said one call close. And I love hearing this phrase. So let's talk about some differences. I'll give you a do and a don't uh, that is more of like tailored to the person you're talking to. So I gave this tip out on TikTok. And this is like something you can do right now, a small change you can make. So ask this question every time. Learn how they buy. That's what you want to accomplish here. And if it's a complicated organization, if it's an enterprise organization, it's probably a complicated process. So you say, man, this might be complicated. What's the next step in your buying process? And then if it's a smaller transactional conversation because your ACV or average contract value is lower and it should be transactional conversation, then you can say, it sounds like it might be a simple process. What's the next step in your buying process? Right? You're asking the same question in a different way and prepping this person to give you that process and you need that process to be successful in the sale. Max, what do you think about this? Yeah, I love that. I think uh, one thing that's super important is when you first started a company, it's, it's important to distinguish whether or not you're selling into a complex org or if you are transactional. Yeah. Um, and that really differentiates the way that you're going to run your calls. And so finding out that buying process early on is super important. And everyone loves to talk about enterprise deals and how complicated they are and all the different things that we can do on those. But honestly, I love a transactional sale and they have they come with their own problems. So it's super important to understand like, hey, it sounds like this is a really simple process for you. Mm -hmm. You know, how do you typically buy tools in the past? You mentioned that you guys purchased Salesforce before. What did that process look like for you guys? Yep. And I'll tell you, uh, and we talked about this on a couple different shows now, and I'll reiterate it now. If you ask somebody how they buy something and they can't answer that question, what's the likelihood they're your decision maker? 
it drops to the bottom, right? You need that information and you have to be able to ask questions. Uh, and John's been saying this lately, and I think this is true. You get referred to the, who you talk like. If you're trying to get to the decision maker, then at that point, you have to be asking questions this person you're talking to doesn't have the answers to, right? Uh, this sets you up for the close. One of the things that is going to be a reoccurring theme in this, Max, is skipping steps. And one of the steps that I see people skip all the time is right down here. They don't set an agenda, right? What's the, what's the mistake ratio here? How often is not setting an agenda get us in trouble? There all the time. Yeah. Because it, it's like this with anything, right? It's, it's whether you're on a demo call or on a cold call. If you're not setting an agenda for what's going to come next, the prospect is just going to do what they want to do. And usually what that means is they have 10 million other things going on. And so they're just going to go ahead and do those other things that are important to them now versus kind of what, you know, you're setting an, an agenda for and expectations for. And so like, it really just depends on who you're talking to. But when it comes to setting that agenda, it's just super important because, and we'll talk about this in the next slide too, it's you want to make it very clear to whoever you're talking to, like what the process looks like and what's going to happen next so that there are no guesses and that they're, you're getting agreement from them. Um, and I think that's just super important in all stages of the sales cycle. So if your boss ever slacks you at 930 at night, it's like, hey, what's going on with this deal? You know exactly what's going on with it because you already have it all mapped out with the prospect. I will, honestly, I will proactively bother my superiors. John will tell you that I'm the most over-communicative person. I will tell you about a deal, even if you don't want to hear about it, because I get excited about it. <laughs> so that's, that's the nature of it. Uh, I love what you're saying here, and I think it does hold us accountable. And here's another step that you mentioned in the research process. Some people will be like, well, who else needs to be a part of the conversation? And while I think there's value in finding those people, my opinion has always been that they should do the research first and say things like, hey, Clint, it looks like Sarah might be the next person that needs to be on the next call. Do I have that right? Should we involve her in the next meeting that we set up? Uh, this proactive step often gets additional stakeholders to the table in consecutive calls. This has always been a best practice for us. And I think your team does this internally really well. Can you talk about that a little? Yeah, we we leverage this on the SDR side, especially heavily uh, on the cold call piece, because if you call into an account and you might not be able to find that phone number, right, for that person that you're trying to reach to, but you are calling someone to get a referral, um, a lot of times people will say something like, hey, I don't really feel comfortable giving you that person's information or whatever. But if you can go into that call and saying like, hey, you know, James, it looks like Duncan would be the right person to talk to you about this. Is that correct? Yeah, sure. And then you can start to ask them questions and get their buy-in. And then you can eventually go to Duncan and say, hey, Duncan, I talked to James. He told me X, Y, and Z. Does that resonate with you? That's a, a great example on the on the cold call side of things. Yeah. Then an, another thing that uh, a mentor of mine told me, um, you want to come off with whoever you're talking about, especially when you're an AE on these deals, as you're that industry expert for what they're looking for. And so if you can go into a call and you have information uh, on what their org chart looks like. So if you're talking to uh, an ops manager and you know that the director of ops and the CFO are the two people that typically sign off on your deals, that if you can go into that call and you know the names of their director of ops and their CFO, then it's just going to make you come off like you did your research, you're actually interested in them as a buyer, um, and it's going to give you a much better chance of closing that deal because you already know um, things before you even get onto that call and you feel more prepared. And when you feel more prepared, you you, you sound more confident. Yo, when you feel more prepared, you sound more confident. Confidence is the thing I think st salespeople struggle with the most, especially people that feel the pressure of dealing with 
150, 500,000, $1.2 million deals, right? There's a lot of pressure involved in that. And it's a lot of meeting expectations. What you're saying, I think resonates emotionally for almost every seller in the room. We have to move on though. We're talking about tactics that help us close more deals more often. And I want to move to the hot topic of multi-threading. But before we do it, I want to launch this question for everybody right now that's tuning in. Uh, when is the best time, in your opinion, to multi-thread a deal? And obviously, I've left a note there. And uh, we'll have some fun here in a minute with the do's and don'ts. So don't fret. I love the engagement in the chat. I think you guys are fun to, to play with. <laughs> so uh, let's talk a little bit about multi-threading, what it means, uh, when to do it, why it matters, how it gets people closing deals faster. There's early ways to set the hook for this. And you talked about the research step and the names of other potential stakeholders. But when you're on the call, things tend to go a little crazy sometimes. Mm-hmm. How do we keep people in our in their buying process and how do we stay in their lane so they're comfortable with us? Yeah, I think for me, a big piece is doing the discovery, right? So you set your agenda and now you're in that discovery phase of the conversation on that initial demo call. And this is kind of where I like to find out different tools that they've purchased before. And so... All the SaaS products that I've ever sold um, or products in general, we usually have to integrate with something or we're in, in parallel with something that they've already had in the past that they're using. That's part of their process. But if you can figure out their process and find out what tools that they're using, you know, at some point they had to purchase those and they went through some kind of buying cycle. Yeah. And so what I always love to do is take that whole discovery process and then I can use that information and leverage that to figure out what their buying process is. And so let's say, for example, you know, I sell currently to into the the uh, restaurant industry, and so we work with a lot of different POS systems, right? And so Toast, everyone knows that one's an easy one. Um, is a tool. It's a, it's basically a software that they use, you know, to process credit cards, payments, things like that. And so when I find out that like, hey, we use Toast, that's what our POS is. Towards the end of the call, when I'm trying to figure out what their buying process is, I can say something like, hey, you know, I, I know you mentioned you guys use Toast. Um, what did it look like when you guys went through went through that like acquisition of Toast? When you guys decided to put that into your restaurants, you know who was involved? How long did it take to get that done? Um, who had to sign off on it? And that's going to be the first step to figuring out how to multi-thread that account because they're going to give you specific names, titles, how long it took, what budgeting looked like, and you can start to ask questions around that. And then once you get those names down, now it's important you can set up that next call and saying like, "Hey, James, I know you mentioned that you know Mark and Susan were really important." Um, in that purchasing of of toast, you know, would it be something that we would want to get them on a call next to get their buying on this? Or you can just take that information after the call, you can send a follow-up email to those people that they mentioned and say, Hey, I spoke with, with James on this call. This is what we went over. He mentioned that you guys were interested in things such as X, Y, and Z. You know, I have time Thursday, Friday. What does that look like for you? I I love the follow-up emails that we see that actually keep people going in a sales cycle. And I think follow-up has gotten like the phrase follow-up email, just just the phrase alone kind of leaves a bad taste in people's mouths. Very overused. We consider it to be like a gray area. Uh, Let me get let me get a two in the chat if you feel like follow-up email is something that people say, but they don't really put enough meat into what that means in a sales cycle. Uh, yeah, because it could mean so many different things. Let's take a look at some of these results right here and see what people are saying about when the best time is to multi-thread while you guys tell us about that in the chat. Uh, prospecting phase. Ah, you know, I don't know if prospecting phase is a good time to multi-thread. I feel like multi-threading might 
might happen in the later part of the cycle and prospecting might get two or three, especially at the enterprise level. I don't know. That's interesting. The prospecting phase has such a high rate there. Any surprises for you here, Max? Yeah, I think, I guess prospecting phase isn't as much of a surprise, but I think there needs to be like context behind it. And so again, what, like, what are, is it a transactional sale? Is there, yes. is there no buying committee? If it's enterprise deal, like you're never going to get all the, all the, the, the DMs on a call, right? That's and a so good point. It really depends on that, um, but I, I agree with you. I think it's towards like the middle part of the cycle where you have to start to get more people involved. I my favorite answer on here for me, the one that I w I wanted to choose, but I can't vote because I'm the host, was the post initial call. Because on the initial call, I feel like that's when names get dropped. People are like, "Oh, I have to go to Scott for this and get approved." You're like, "Oh, who's Scott?" Right? Like, <laughs> and now I'm reaching out to Scott on LinkedIn. Right? <laughs> like, that makes total sense to me. I want to give you guys some real-time examples. I like real-time examples, and Max and I put a couple here together for you. Uh, so shout out to you for this, Max. I appreciate it. Uh, some missing information here. We protect everybody's identities. Max, break this email down. This is a follow-up email that you sent, is it not? Yeah, 100%. So That's every cool. single uh, AE on my team, after every call, regardless if it's the initial demo call, whether it's like a second, third, fourth call, whatever it is, after every single call we set, we send this, um, in the beginning of this, you know, webinar, I talked a little bit about like, you want to make sure that you're setting these expectations for your clients or your prospects, and then you're staying consistent with that throughout. And so the reason we do this after every single call is because I want the prospect to know what they're going to expect from us during every single call and after every single call. Um, so I'll break this down a little bit. Yeah. I like to break it up into two areas, highlights and next steps. Yeah. And so always take notes throughout each call that you take. Uh, to know what are the pain points, what are we solving for, what do they bring up on that call, and you want to highlight that again so you can bring that up. Uh, a mentor of mine talked a little bit about um, a sales cycle is kind of like a, a hill with a boulder, and so you're constantly built pushing a really heavy boulder up a hill, and after every single call, and you don't talk to somebody for six days, and that boulder starts to fall down a little bit, and you have to try and push that back up to get that momentum um, back to the top of that hill. And it becomes super difficult every time it goes back down, so you have to keep pushing it up. So this is kind of a way to make sure that you're highlighting the things that they mentioned to you that were important and putting that on paper. And you can bump these emails, you can send them to them the day after or right after the call, but the prospect is going to expect it every single time. And so that's why I like to put those highlights in there. It stays top of mind for them. The second piece is next steps. And so like I said in the beginning, right, it's always about getting agreement from what's going to happen after this call. And so I just like to confirm that on paper in an email chain with multiple people on it so that, hey, like we talked about Friday, we're going to meet on Friday at 3 p.m. Next step is we're meeting on Friday, 3 p.m. to go over X, Y, and Z. So whether that's doing a more in-depth demo, whether that's going over the contract, whether that's bringing in your CFO, whatever it is, we always like to put those next steps in there and just get it solidified because who knows, you might send that email out, they might read it and say, hey, actually, can we do Monday? Or, hey, actually, I don't think that Friday is going to work whatever it is, but you at least want to get something down so that you can solidify that agreement that you had on the call. Um, Great stuff. I, the the boulder reference uh, comes from Greek mythology. That was Sisyphus condemned to Hades to push the boulder up the hill and then come back down, push it back every time. Uh, so for those of you that are Greek mythological uh, interest people like I am, that, that was Sisyphus. That was that. Uh, what are you getting? That's a great, great stuff. I like this flow of, hey, highlights from the call. Next steps are this. I, what the only thing that I would say is that I try to avoid now, and I've learned that I struggle here. I try to avoid language like "let me know." I find that to be too passive. 
I like every time I see it now in my own writing, I call attention to it and I'm like, oh, let me just, what can I say other than anything other than let me know? Because I feel like it's such a passive phrase that I overuse personally. <laughs> so <laughs> that's my only feedback for this. I, I would love to talk about this one. I got this one from Mark Knight uh, from LoadSmart and his teams have been sending this one. And I think this one is fantastic because after your initial call, you send this email for the second call that you're going to have. And it's all the details, but you'll notice here, I love this, at the end, they call attention to the pain point that they're going to talk about on that second call. So I love this as a follow-up email. What are your thoughts on this one? Yeah, I love that. I think there's a couple things that you can do with those pre-email um, like yeah. calendar send outs like this. I actually have never seen someone say, these are the pain points you mentioned that we're going to cover, or these are the pain points that typically resonate with people like you that we're going to cover. So I'm definitely going to steal that. Um, the other thing that one of my reps does is she always sends out the agenda of the call before every single one. And then she puts the agenda in the invite as well. And so that's like another little neat trick that you can do to set an expectation before you even get on that call. Good stuff. And you guys know, uh, and I like set there, we're back to like setting expectations. You've heard him say it. It's another thing that you can set expectations, setting expectations. So important for the closing function. Uh, all right, dude, these are your four steps. This is what we titled this thing because you had these great steps, uh, break these down for us. Nice and simple. It's not overcomplicated. You guys. Nope. No. So I, in the beginning, I always talked about like just doing the same things on every calls and not skipping any steps. My reps, my AEs now, this is what they follow. This is what I did when I was an AE too. And so just like I said in the beginning, it's setting that agenda, setting that upfront contract so they know what's going to happen on the call and what's going to happen after the call. Um, then arguably the most important piece is doing discovery. And so it's just asking the right questions. It should be a 50-50 conversation, not you just peppering them with calls. Um, but just making sure you can find like two or three pain points that you can kind of hone in on. Um, and then what I always love to do is after I do that discovery and I feel like I got everything um, that I needed to get, it's I want to know what their ideal end state is. And so I can take the things that I found in that initial discovery piece and I can say, hey, you mentioned that you want to solve X, Y, and Z. Um, when you move forward with solving that problem, what does that end state um, look like for you? What would be an ideal solution for you? Um, in getting them to verbally tell you like what in an ideal world is it going to look like for you to solve this? Like what is that that software? What is that product going to look like? How is it going to be used? Who's going to use it? How is the training going to be rolled out? And they can literally lay that out for you from all the aspects. And you can ask them questions like, oh, how would that work? You know, you mentioned you wanted the onboarding to look like this. Could you walk me through how you've done that in the past? And you can get a bunch of different information from them. And so I just love that question because you get them to tell you. Uh, what they really want. And then the last piece is just answering any final questions and then pushing it on to that next call. Um, so pretty straightforward. Those are the, kind of the four steps that we always follow. There's a lot that goes into them, uh, but on a surface level, it's very straightforward. And if you can check those boxes, you'll be in a much better place when you go into your next call. So there's a couple of things I want to pick apart there. The first thing I want to talk about is this concept of assumptive language. Now we've heard this before on the show. The problem I think with assumptive language, uh, or at least one of many, is that in some cases, assumptive language is often confused with aggressive sales practices. Where's the line, Max? Um, I, I always like to make it contextual. And so when I'm making assumptions, I'm always trying to base them off of the things that they told me. And so whether that's taking a pain point and then telling a customer story and then asking them a question, 
or it's just like, hey, you had mentioned that XYZ is an issue and then saying something like, it sounds like you want to solve that. Is that right? So I try to make everything contextual. I don't like to to go into a a conversation and say, hey, I talked to Jane Doe at XYZ restaurant and she mentioned to me that these things were a problem for her. Let me show you how we solve for that. You know, I want to understand what they're telling me and then try to label it and put a label on the that pain and then get them to agree to that pain point and then tell me how they want to solve that. Um, so I try not to be aggressive to the point where I'm assuming things like that, um, but I try to make it contextual and then, you know, assume that that's what they want to solve by asking them it context i think what i'm hearing you say is that context plus assumptive language is a better combination than blind assumptive language so uh i think let, let me give you guys good examples and max agree disagree push back like i'm fine with it i think an assumptive language that we tend to use and something that we've suggested in the past is you know think forward six months what does success look like but I think the more contextual question to add, and that's a good question. Like there's, I can't take away from the value in that question. What I can say is that if you say, what will we be measuring to find what success looks like, you'll get a more precise answer on where you can have impact. Am I reading that right? Yeah, a hundred percent. That's super accurate. Actually, I just went through, um, I just bought a piece of software um, and it took us maybe like our first six months at branch, like no one really had buy-in, no one really wanted to buy it. And we eventually got to the point where I was like, hey, can we just have a trial for two weeks? And they don't really do trials. Um, but I was like, hey, can we just have a trial and test it out? And one thing that the AE asked me that I love was, hey, I'll let you do a trial, but I I need specific things that we're going to measure that will prove success for your team. And so I was like, okay, these are the three things that we need. And I was very specific with it because in, during our internal conversation, the people that held the budget on my team were like, hey, you need to show me like where it's going to bring value. Sure, sure. And so I had very clear measurements of where I wanted to see success. And so that was all up to the AE, right? Like if he didn't ask me that and he's just like, sure, do a trial. And then I would have been like, okay, we like it or we don't like it. Um, but he made me agree to certain measurements to say, if we can prove these things out, will we move forward? And so we ended up buying the software and he did a really good job of, of setting those measurements for me. I, I, so first of all, I love this and I want to circle back because I have to ask this question and this is all about the agenda. You'll notice there that Max asked for that particular trial and this guy immediately came, but this person immediately came back with, here's what I need in order for that to happen. This is all about agenda setting for every single meeting that you have not just externally but internally as well if it's on your calendar there should be an agenda at least in the description now i know that some of you are saying most times depends on the call purpose like i wing everything shout out to you six percenters that wing everything i i got love but you need to quit doing that 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 got me in trouble a couple of times winging some shit uh and hey thank you for using that discovery list i had in the past i i do i do I'm, i think i might get back to discovery questions of the day uh all right let's Let's move on. I, a lot to unpack in that, in that Max. I, the complexity here is pretty amazing. Let's talk a little bit about how to anticipate, right? We all, we all need to have like a crystal ball right now. We know our ICP, we know our product, and we know what works to sell it. So we hear the same things over and over, and we can become proactive about that. So let's talk about ways to anticipate and deter. Yeah, I think, and this is something that I've talked about a lot, and this is something that I learned when I was an SDR back in the day from an AD who had been doing it for a while. One thing that he always did 
uh, when someone comes to you with an objection, it may not sound um, something that everyone is using. And it may not sound like an awesome thing to say, but he would always use the terminology of like, when someone gives you an objection, you need to press them on that objection. You want to like basically debate them to see if that's something that's actually real or if it's fake. And so I can give a- counterintuitive though. <laughs> yeah, it is. I can give a real world example of it though. Because a lot of times when people come to me with an objection, they're looking for issues. They're like looking for reasons not to not to move forward or looking for reasons that this isn't going to work for them. Um, and so a real world example is we, we were just working with a restaurant group um, and there are certain types of employees that we can't work with depending on like visas or if they're W2 or 1099. And so there's a bunch of different like things that can go into that. But she had come to me and she said, hey, Max, like, I don't know if we can move forward because um, what if we run into this situation where, you know, we have too many of those types of employees at our locations and we have to shut down a location until we can hire people that can use your service. And so all I did, it's super basic, is I just pressed around a little bit and I said, yeah, no worries. How many of those types of employees do you have at each location? Uh, and then she thought about it for about like five seconds and was like, you know, honestly, I think we have maybe one or two total out of all 80 locations. Um, but I was just curious and we were kind of like getting worried about that, you know? And so at the end of the day, they had 80 locations, a thousand employees, one or two employees out of the thousand. Minimal. And so, yeah, very minimal. There are workarounds for it. Right. And so I was able to walk her through that and then eventually calmed her down because she was like, okay, yeah, you're right. It's like less than 1% of our employees. Now, I want to pause right here because I have to point this out. He did not say something blanket umbrella. I don't care about your objection here. It's tempting to be like, well, there's all these other people. Why don't we cross that bridge when you get when we get there? This puts the big question mark in your prospect's brain of, did he just like completely disregard what I said? Right. And that already you've lost some credibility. Instead, what he said was, whoa, let's hang on to that right there for a minute. Why don't you tell me how many people might fit that category? And he got deeper into that objection. He paused and hovered over it. There was some language that you gave me that I thought was extremely interesting. And I think it can come off the wrong way if it's not used appropriately. But you were like, hey, forget all those things for a minute. <laughs> And, you know, it dawned on me when we were talking about this that, like, as casual as that might sound, I think the next question that you asked really hit home. So, this is the flow, right? After, like, during the end of the conversation, you said it back to back. You were like, forget all that stuff. What's really important to you? What do you usually get back when you do this? Yeah, I, that, that comes up a lot when we're talking about competitors, too. So, I can give an example of how I would ask something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If someone, if someone gives me, Hey, we're looking at, you know, X competitor, you know, how are you, how do you differ from them? I hate that question because I'm so against just feature pitching. Yeah. And so I, I hate it. So I, I always, uh, this was something that I really struggled with when I first got into sales. I didn't know how to come like get around this with a, a good type of question. Um, eventually I had an A that I worked with that gave me this question. And I always say something like, Hey, you know, I'm super familiar with X uh, on how we're different how we're the same. I could, you know, list off a bunch of different features, but I would love to understand when it comes to selecting a vendor for X pain point, um, you know, what's important to you. What that does is it kind of resets the conversation and puts the onus back on them to to tell you like, hey, we're looking for someone that does X, Y, and Z. Um, this is why it's, we think it's important. And they'll give you the answers 
that you can then speak to. Because a lot of the products that we sell, they have a bunch of different bells and whistles, a bunch of different features. And so you can speak to 10 million different things, but it's really important to speak to the features that connect with their pains and then giving them what the benefit of those of those features will be instead of just listing 15 different features and telling them what they love. So that's usually the response that I get is they'll tell me things that are important. I'll have to dig a little bit deeper because not everyone's super open, but eventually I can figure out, okay, these are the three things that I'm only going to talk about because this is what's actually important to them. I, I want to stop for a minute because I want people to participate here. Uh, and I want you to just put the number of features that your product has, even if you don't know all of them, put the number of features your product has in the chat right now. I look 18. Look at that number already. A hundred thousand. That's good. 12. Okay. That's a reasonable number. I feel like that's not too bad. Uh, seven. Good. 10. Nice. All right. Uh, so even though these numbers seem high, what you're saying is when you set people up this way and you're clo- you're working towards the closing phase, so you can set it up, you're saying, forget those things. What is really valuable to you and what you're getting are the two, maybe three things that you're actually going to close them on. Forget about your 12 or 100,000 things. Am I, yeah. am I interpreting that the right way? A hundred percent. And the thing too, is if you do allow somebody to ask you a bunch of different questions and then go through all these different rabbit holes and you during your calls you never figured out what those two or three important things are you're going to be bouncing all over the place you're not you're not going to know what's valuable the calls will just be a train wreck and so it's like important so important to find those two or three things that they told you were important to them because then if you do get lost on a call which happens to me all the time i can always bring it back to what's actually important to the prospect um, I, I love that it's, and I think we're going to talk about what customer centricity is on the show with John and Ashley. Uh, but what you're saying is that all through the closing phase, you're reinsuring the fact that this is about them and reinforcing the thing that you're looking to solve for them that they agree is a problem. Again, let's circle back. All of this comes back to setting up the next step. Let's look at these results. I think it's a good spread, actually. So 38% of the folks in the room say that they always set an agenda. I'm pretty good about putting it in, but I wouldn't say always. I think I'm a most times person, personally. Are you a most times person like me, Max? Yeah, most times. I I mean, I can't tell you the amount of times I've gone onto a call and someone lives in the same city as me. We start talking for like five, 10 minutes and I'm like, oh shit, we got 20 minutes left on this call. Like, yeah, (laughs) let's just, let me just start asking you questions. Then there's no agenda setting at the end of the call. I'm like scrambling to figure out what we're going to do next. So yeah, I'm a most times guy. Well, now wait a minute, because I want to, I just want to say that like closing for interest, closing for, uh, you know, the, the yes doesn't always have to be a long drawn out process if you are in the transactional phase. I'm curious in the room, and we didn't ask this question in the in the in the form of a poll, but just put enterprise, SMB, or mid market in the chat. I just I'm just curious, like what the spread is for this show, uh, enterprise, SMB, or mid market. I see a lot of enterprise, all of the above. Okay. Nice. Mid-market retention. Retention is big. We can talk about CS and closing for renewals. Uh, I love that. Uh, So, all right. So, my opinion remains that anytime somebody gives me an objection, I have to immediately make a decision as to whether or not this is a hard objection or this is a soft objection. Max, in your opinion, how do people know the difference between these two 
uh, innately? How do they get better at deciding as they move forward? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that kind of goes back to what we talked about um, earlier, which was I want to press somebody on something to figure out if it's real or not. And so like an example of a soft objection would be if I'm on a cold call, right? And someone tells me, I'm in a meeting right now, like call me back later, like probably a soft objection. And so you want to try and figure out like if it's real or not. So if you're an AE and you're on a call and you're trying to figure out like, hey, is this objection that somebody's giving me important or is it just something they're telling me because it came up randomly on an internal evaluations call that they had two days ago. Um, And so what I always like to do is just press them a little bit on it. It's like, okay, where did that come from? First of all, I want to understand. And then I also want to know where I can connect that back to those two or three important things that they had told me. And so I want to know how that connects. Oftentimes, if it doesn't connect to those two or three important things that I got from them earlier, it's probably a soft objection because at the end of the day, it's not super important. But if it does, then you really need to dig into it and and actually solve that for them. Um, And so that's kind of how I like to do it. It's not always as simple as that, but um, those are kind of some of the things that I think about when people do give me those objections. Well, you know, it's not going to be cut and dry. And, you know, that if you look at the spread that we have here from me asking that question, I think it's a, an enterprise mid-market world. So here's my here's my go-to here. In an enterprise situation, you're going to have a lot of conversations in the closing phase because there's a lot of people with their own agendas. We've been talking about agendas this whole time because they matter when it comes to closing. But in an SMB and mid-market situation, I think you can be a little more customer centric. You have a little more wiggle room to talk to them about the things that matter most to them and be like, Hey, while I've got you, right? What's the update on getting this moved forward? Let's make this happen. I'm sending you this now, please review it. How can we get with Scott, my reference earlier, the person that I got from the initial call. This is a good way to remain customer centric and still drop that, that urgency that they've created by describing the problem they're trying to solve in the initial call. You remember, after the initial call, I feel like there's discovery and closing kind of on the horizon, right? That has to be the path. And if you're not working towards that, you have a little bit of an issue. And I think that that applies at both levels uh, or all three levels, right? Uh, enterprise, yeah. SMB, and, and mid-market. Anything to say about the spread that's in the room here? I really love the diversity, by the way. Yeah, um, I would say... SMB and mid-market, there's not a ton of differences, um, depending on what you're selling, but there's usually not like a ton uh, of huge differences. Enterprise is always the one where you have more wiggle room to kind of do what you said, where it's to to ask a bunch of more questions and figure those things out. One thing I will say about enterprise though, it's super important to understand like all the people that need to be involved. Sometimes you get lucky and there's a buying committee on your first call, but oftentimes it's like two or three people. So you need to dedicate a portion of your call to specifically asking them who needs to be involved, who should I talk to next? What does this process look like? What is, is there an RFP? You know, are there things that I need to, to check off now versus later? Uh, you know, again, I, I couldn't agree with you more that it's going to differ from, especially for those of you that put all in there. Like I feel for you because I think you might have to like, look at the way you manage your time more often than you would if you were just selling a transactional thing, like over and over again, uh, that's a little more volume based, such a big conversation when it comes to closing. I do want to get these last points in because I really like them. Uh, do the easy stuff and don't skip steps. That's the reoccurring theme here. Don't skip steps. But what's the easy stuff? What do you mean by that? Getting a calendar invite on the next uh, on the calendar, right? So after skip that, yeah, don't 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 skip that piece, right? So that's super important. I think that's like the easiest thing that you can do, right? You don't want to get into a situation where you set that agenda and then at the end of the call, 
someone goes, okay, this is great. I'll talk about it with my team. And then, you know, I'll reach back out to you next week. Odds are they're not going to reach back out to you because they got so many things going on. So you want to have a dedicated time with them on the calendar. That's something that's really easy to do. Um, another thing that's easy to do is those upfront contracts, right? Getting them to agree early on on the call, like this is what the agenda will look like. This is what's going to happen during the call. And this is what's going to happen after the call and get them to agree to that. And then those four steps that we talked about. So doing the discovery, getting their ideal end state, answering their questions, just doing those on every single call and making sure you're covering that stuff. Um, the stuff that's hard, right, is asking the right questions, figuring out how to pain funnel, um, double clicking the things that they say. Those are hard things to do that you can get coached on and practice a lot. But if you're following the framework that's successful at your org, it's going to be a lot easier um, and you're going to be able to track it as long as you can do it consistently. Yo, being able to track it is definitely key. If you're doing things you can't track, you're going to have a hard time figuring out what works. We have two major questions I want to get answers to. One is from Olga and the other is from Jenna. The first one from Olga, quick language. What language do you use to get the agreement for next steps? How do you ask somebody outright? Yeah. When I, when I usually do it, um, what I like to say something like by the end of the meeting, if you don't feel like our services can solve your X problem, we can shake hands, walk away as friends. But if we're a good fit for each other, we'll go ahead and schedule another call or get a proposal ready. If that's where we're at, does that work for you? That's kind of my templated way that I like to ask it. I love that. Uh, I'll give you the language we use. Typically what happens next is right. That that's usually what we say. And we use usually sometimes instead of typically. Usually what happens next, or usually when people say this, we provide X, right? This type of language works really well for nailing that. Do you want to do it? I usually upward inflection on the, do you want to do it? We talk a lot about tones, Max, you and me, right? Uh, you know, usually what happens next when people say this, we do this. Do you want to do it? Right? There's yeah. this, oh yeah, I want to do it. Uh, oh, great question about email. We'll definitely cover that. Uh, and you can say it the same way in email, Olga, I think. I don't think there's a difference in the two. You can write it. You can say it. Uh, this one, question comes from... Go ahead. No, I have one other quick thing on that. Yeah. Going back to all the contextual pieces that I mentioned. One thing that we like to do a lot is when we are trying to get that next step and it's been difficult, we'll tell a very like short contextual story as to why that's usually what happens. And so you can get away with this if you're working with in SMB or mid-market too, because they might not be as sophisticated of a buyer, but I'll say something like, you know, usually when I'm talking to restaurant groups that have 15 to 20 locations like yourself, this is usually what happens after, after this. And so they're like, okay, if other restaurant groups are doing it, and if I can even name drop a couple of clients too, that they know even better. Uh, so it gives some context and it'll give it a little bit easier of a, of a time asking the question. Great stuff. That's a good answer to that question. Uh, three minutes left here, and I want to make sure we get the most out of it. This is from Jenna. How do you lead meetings with prospects who are uneducated buyers only looking for the quote, best price versus becoming an educated buyer? Great question. Shout out to you, Jenna. Yeah, this is this is a really good question. Um, I, I'll be honest. I don't know if I have the right answer. This is kind of like my philosophy on it. And then you yeah. can tell me if I'm way off base here. Uh, I have this, like, I wouldn't say a rule, but thing with my team where it's, I hate having a pipeline that's overinflated. I like it to be as clean and as, as nimble as possible. And so what I like to do is if I get on a call and someone's being really difficult and they just want my best price, I'll never, ever give them best price unless I understand what they want. And so if I try a few times to do discovery and they're just not having it and they don't want to answer questions and they're just like, Hey, give me your best price. Give me your best price. I'll sometimes match their tone and get a little bit adversarial with them. And I'll say something like, hey, look, 
I could, and it goes back to the same type of language that I like to use. I would say to them something like, hey, look, I could go through the demo, show you every single feature, and then tell you what my VPSL says that I can give you a discount on, which is going to be 1% off because I don't know anything about your business. I don't know when you want to make a decision. I don't know what's important to you. Yeah. But that's usually the way the sales process works um, for us here, as well as all the clients that we work with. But if I don't have any of that information, I'm not going to be able to go to my boss and get you a better price. And I'm not going to be able to give you a good experience. And that's so, amazing. If that's when you I say, think. when you say I'm not going to be able to give you a good experience, I think that's the most valid answer a salesperson can give. Real quick, Max, where can people go to connect with you? Yeah, two the best place for me is LinkedIn. I have Salescast, which is which is my podcast I do with Jed Morrow and Luke Ruffing. Um, and then I spend all my time uh, on LinkedIn. So if you want to shoot me a message there, that's the best place. Follow me there. It's where I post all my content. Well, thanks a lot for being here and sharing all your wisdom. We want to thank you for coming out and investing in yourself all week this week. We are live every day. I hope you guys have an amazing weekend. Follow us on social. Check us out at sellbetter.xyz and hit us up on LinkedIn at sellbetter by JB Sales. Once again, you guys are the reason that we put all this together and we will see you next week. Have a great one, everybody. Thanks for coming out. See you, everybody.